0: These are the daily lectionary comments for the Friday after Ash Wednesday. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, where we get an intimate look at God's creation of male and female. And then, Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 29, Jesus demonstrates his authority to heal and to cleanse. In Genesis chapter 2. We've just finished. Uh, the first chapter is like a beautiful, intricate poem a celebration and a breathtaking one at that of god's creation of all things out of nothing we start with nothing and we end on the seventh day with god resting because everything is created in one breathtaking panoramic scene then beginning at verse 4 here in chapter 2 the scene switches and we really go back in time we're going back uh to to the the sixth day and we're getting a picture of how god actually created man and then going forward to that um so you have it's it's almost like two different accounts of the creation of human beings but one is from a a, a sweeping panora- panoramic view of where we were created in the midst of everything and the second one is a much more intimate view where the whole focus is on human beings now when you look at scripture you see that is the focus of Scripture. What's unusual is the first chapter where the focus is on what God has made, all things, everywhere. But beginning in chapter 2, the focus narrows. We're no longer going to be talking about the stars, and we're no longer going to be talking about how God separated this and that, and created this and that. Now we're seeing that the apple of his eye is this one, Adam. By the way, the reading begins with these are the generations of. That is... That is repeated ten times in Genesis, and each time it marks the beginning of a block of text. Some some of the blocks are very short, and some of them are very long. But each one is a block, and there are ten blocks of text that no doubt were received by Moses from the past, and he is he is stitching them together here in in the account of Genesis because Moses wasn't alive at that time, and so again by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he's putting these these ancient texts together into uh, what we now call Genesis. So this part uh, begins the discussion of the creation of human beings and the beginning of humanity. And it begins with a single human being, Adam. Adam, it says, was made from the dust. And there's a play on the words here because Adam and dust are the same word, okay? So God, God makes Adam from the dust and calls him Adam calls him dust. Our name is dust. And here, just right after Ash Wednesday, you know, you, you get that sense that you are dust into dust, you shall return. And indeed, uh, we are. He was dust. A human being is dust, but also the Lord breathed in him the breath of life. So there's two aspects of a human being. One is the same as the stuff of the dust, but also the same as the stuff of all the animals and all the other things that God has created. A human being is just like all of the other animals in one sense we were created from the stuff of the ground and unlike every other thing in this regard that god breathed in him the breath of life so god made man in his image now uh, we hear about the, uh, the the tree of of life um And then we also hear about this mysterious tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, understand that 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 expression uh, is is heavy with meaning, knowledge of good and evil. There is an expression that you're probably familiar with in in the King James translation and sometimes other places where in the scripture, a man would say, you know, the, the question would be, does a man know a woman or has a woman known a man? And what it's really getting at is, have, have they had intercourse with one another? To, to know, for a man to know a woman means he has had intercourse with her. In other words, very intimate relationship. So when he talks about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil, I want you to think of that word knowledge in the same way as a man knowing a woman or a woman knowing a man, having deep and intimate knowledge of good and evil. And that's the problem, that human beings were created to be in a world of innocence. Not a world where you are intimately familiar with good and evil, but that you are naturally at home in a world of good. So God says, stay away from that. This is not a trick. God does not put that tree there as a trick. But one might say that it is necessary to have a tree like that, that is a way for for. Adam to uh, disobey, in order to give Adam also the means willingly to obey. So if there's no way to sin against God, then there's no benefit there's uh, to uh, to obeying him. You don't have any choice. But if there's this tree, you say this tree is a temptation to sin. Well, no, the tree is an opportunity voluntarily to obey God. And there it was. It enhances uh, Adam's ability to do what no other creature can do, and that is willingly to submit to God and to the limitations that God places on him. Now it talks about a field and a garden, and nothing has come up yet uh, because the mist had not uh, you know a mist was covering the ground, but it hadn't started raining yet. What it's talking about is the, the the garden or the fields around adam. It's not saying in all the world that God has created, not a single thing has grown up yet. But it's talking about that area where god is is placing Adam and there there's no farm yet there's no there's no produce from the ground that will be worked by Adam who would be placed in the garden in order to work the ground in order to cause things to grow and that hadn't uh, and that happened hadn't happened yet um Adam is sternly warned not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because, he says, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, one of the things that this should tell us is that when God says die, he doesn't always mean your physical body drops over dead. What he means in this case, because when Adam did eat of that tree, uh, he did not just immediately drop over dead, but he did immediately die. And we will see that the the sense of what it means to die, uh, there's more than just one sense, and it doesn't only mean your heart stops beating and you return to the dust. Now, the account then goes to the creation of, of Eve, and we have this uh, lovely little story about all the animals being brought to Adam one at a time, and, and Adam gives names for each of the animals and presumably considers each one as a possible help need for him And after we get through all the animals, again, we're not talking about every animal in all the world. We're talking about all the animals that were round about Adam, okay, where he would be living and farming and tending the garden and so on. And the whole point of this, children, of course, might read this and think God is trying to figure out which of these animals will work. And when he finally figures out that apparently none of them are going to satisfy Adam, then he creates the woman. But of course, that's a very silly way of looking at it. God always knew that none of these animals were going to do. It was Adam that needed to learn from deep experience that none other than the woman that God created could possibly be a helpmeet for him. And so male and female are pictured here very much like in the first chapter, male and female, he created them, okay? Human beings together, male and female, Together, make up the totality of what a human being is meant to be. Here also, we have that kind of complementary uh, aspect. And then we have a little note by Moses at the end: uh, "Therefore, a man will leave his mother and father, cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." And there we have, essentially the institution of marriage and the, the proper um, role and place for sexuality uh, between a man and a woman for the purpose of being fruitful and multiplying. Well, the problem with these passages is there's so much to talk about in so little time, so we're going to have to move on. Otherwise, I'll be here all day, and you'll stop listening. All right. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. Uh, As I mentioned yesterday, one of the very important themes in the book of Mark is Jesus' authority. He comes into this world and he exercises dominion over things. Particularly, he exercises dominion over things that are vexing human beings. So, he demonstrates authority over unclean spirits, sort of the the primordial vexer of human beings, is what he did yesterday. Today, we have a more mundane kind of a vexation. Uh, Here, it's, well, first off, it's a fever. Um, Peter's mother-in-law has a fever and Jesus heals her of the fever. And then uh, we see the entire city began to gather uh, around. Presumably this wasn't the only person that, that Jesus had healed. Word gets out and pretty soon there's many, many people at the door. And Jesus is presented as one who, in compassion, heals person after person after person after person after person. He is presented as somebody who heals effortlessly, as long as he wishes to heal, as many people as can get to him. He is healing Uh, and it's extraordinary to think about and it's extraordinary to think about how many people would have been there the very next day or the day after that, or to consider how easy it would have been for Jesus just to have set up shop somewhere and said, come to me and I will heal you. And the great hordes of people that would have come (coughs) Human beings are vexed with ill health and weakness. So many that if word gets out that somebody can merely touch you and heal you, practically the entire countryside will empty out with either sick people or well people bringing sick people to Jesus. He leaves early in the morning and the disciples go looking for him. He's out there in the, in the countryside praying. They, they go looking for him and they find him and they tell him all these people are looking for you, here you are, and, but Jesus makes the point he says, let us go on for to other towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. <clears throat> okay. So Jesus didn't come here to heal. He did heal, partly because he was compassionate, and when he sees somebody in pain, he wants to help them. But in part, and, and the primary reason is to underscore the message that Jesus comes to set the prisoners free. And if the thing you're imprisoned by is an unclean spirit, he'll set you free. If the thing that is imprisoning you is poor health, he will set you free. But he only needs to do so many miracles to make this, to underscore the fact that the kingdom of God comes, and Jesus comes to set the prisoners free. He is not actually going to set them free here and now by healing. That perfect healing comes later, but now he wants us to know that this is, in fact, why I come. And then the next we see the uh, another kind of vexation of human beings, and this is, In this case, a leper. Now, a leper is sort of, you say a sick person, just another kind of sick person. But there's another angle here, and that is a leper is not only sick, but they are considered in the law of Moses unclean. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love them, but what it does mean is that they're ceremonially unable to participate in temple worship. They can't do it because they are unclean, and unless they are cured, they will never be able to participate in temple worship. There were other things that they were shunned from the cities because this was highly contagious, so they couldn't live among the people of God as well. So leprosy, or whatever this is, not necessarily modern leprosy, but, but various kinds of skin diseases went by this name. What this had the effect of is excluding this person from the community of God's people and from the temple doesn't mean that God doesn't not love this person. It just meant that they are effectively excluded from the life of God's people. And Jesus comes to set that person free too and demonstrates authority over the leprosy. Note that if Jesus touches a leper, presumably Jesus becomes unclean too. But that is not what happens. Jesus touches the unclean person and the unclean person becomes clean. So, Jesus is demonstrating his authority even over the laws of cleanliness, over the actual malady of the leprosy, and he's showing his authority to restore people who are divided from the people of God and divided from the worship of God. He is restoring their ability, restoring them to the community, and he tells the man, go to the priest and show yourself, because Moses had a procedure that one would go through if one was cleansed in order to be pronounced cleansed So that you could return to temple worship and return to life in the village. Jesus says, go and do that. Showing that Jesus is is very respectful of the law of Moses. He also wants to give a very clear witness to the priests of what has happened. Because this leper will come in and he will say, you know, I was healed by Jesus of Nazareth. All right, well, so uh, we see Jesus again in in the gospel of Mark. Very rapidly developing the story of Jesus and his authority over various things that vex human beings because he comes to set the prisoners free.